Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. So I'm here with uh, Greg here, and so you own a loyalty program, uh, loyalty software program. Tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll go into kind of your story. Sure. Hey. Well, thanks a lot for having me here today. I'm real excited. Absolutely. To, to, to speak with you, a big fan of your podcast. Um, Are you? So yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So my company is very unique. I uh, really enjoyed it a lot. It's called Loyal with two Y's. Okay. And we're developing, um, it's basically SaaS for the loyalty and rewards industry. But what's unique about us is we've incorporated a blockchain into our product suite uh, or DLT, whatever the, the phrase of choice is these days. Uh, and by having that component uniquely embedded within our product suite, we're able to provide some really cool features and benefits that really were not even imaginable um, in the industry that we're targeting. So it's really exciting what we're doing and the things that we're, we're, we're doing. Yeah. Tell me about that because I used to do credit card processing for like a little bit, a little bit of time. I did that for a uh, you know, short, short time. Tell me about how like, What's different about your loyalty programs or your loyalty loyalty software? Yeah, sure. So uh, we've designed it so it's it's agnostic as to whatever industry it is, and financial services is certainly one of our core uh, pillars that we're targeting. But um, we we're, we're currently working with one major customer, and that's Emirates Airlines. Just went into production use of our uh, product with their Skyward Miles program. So. I'm going to talk a little bit about the airline use case because I'm most familiar with it since I've been working with that very closely for a while now. Yeah. Uh, they're all basically the same in how they're structured, though. So you think about a loyalty program, let's say, um, let's use Emirates Airlines. You accumulate some Skyward miles. Basically, all the airlines are very similar and other loyalty programs in that they want to offer you a lot of options to spend or earn your points or rewards at some other vendor or a partner of theirs, right? So like a hotel or a car rental. And, you know, this is really the trend because people want more options and freedom of how they can spend these currencies they've earned, right? Um, and so that's uh, right now uh, in this industry, they, they want to expand those number of partners where you can use your miles or earn your miles as much as they can. The problem is that the old technology or the current technology, I guess, for everyone else except us, Current technology doesn't really facilitate that expansion. So let me make an example. Emirates has currently over 120 partners that are integrated with their Skyward Miles program where you can earn or spend Skyward Miles. And each one of those is a unique integration uh, for them. So every time they add a partner, they've got to put together this unique bespoke integration. It takes some time and maintenance. So you can imagine 120 different unique integrations and even something even bigger like American or United or whatever, you're talking about hundreds of unique integrations. It's expensive and it's a little bit cumbersome. Uh, but um, so when more, more importantly with each one of those partners, when you go to spend it at a partner, let's say you're, you, you get on like a ride share service and you want to spend your scoured miles there because that partner doesn't have right access to the centralized database at Emirates. They have to accumulate a inventory of these things over time. And generally in the industry, the way it works then is uh, they're at the end of the month, this a file called a batch file is going to get sent to Emirates and from all these partners. And then somebody keys it in and they reconcile those balances. It's a very laborious and expensive process. And it's the bottleneck to partner growth, right? When you replace that with blockchain, then when you get in that rideshare service and you pay with your scour miles, for you, the experience is the same, but the payment transfer is a wallet to wallet 
transfer on a distributed ledger. Well, anybody who's permission to get access to that ledger can see it. Emirates is one of those. And so there's real-time reconciliation. The whole manual process is effectively eliminated. And that dramatically improves the profitability of the program. Uh, the break-even point for each partner, we estimate it reduces about 80 to 90% reduction of the cost of working with that partner. And so now they can have a lot more partners with one point of integration through us and a significant improvement in profitability. So, so most of these, uh, like, let's say airlines, restaurants, uh, they have multiple points of integration and that is so convoluted that it just, it's, it's, it's expensive. Not only that, it's just uh, cumbersome for the, for both the client and the, the airline or restaurant or whatever the is, is providing the loyalty program. Absolutely. So another example is a, a major hotel chain that you know, we're having conversations with told us, you know, they have 41 different integrations with airlines. So imagine if you went to a retail outlet or something and you were going to pay for something you bought and there were 41 POS devices lined up at the register. Yeah, that's, it's, the, it's a that's the equivalent. Yeah. That's right. It's like, it's ridiculous, right? Uh, so this is a standardization by having a trustless shared ledger environment. I like I like yeah. It. One, one point of integration solves the problem. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, that definitely solves a big, a big problem provides a need, you know, because I think loyalty programs are so profitable. What I remember from doing loyalty programs was that one of the, the main reasons why they're valuable is because for better or worse, I would say a percentage of the market would never redeem their rewards. Sure. Um, and so that's like profit directly into the company's <laughs> pocket, right? They have to, they have nothing else to, to pay for. Um, and they, you know, so that's extremely valuable on that end. Um, but then also, you know, some people become fans because they're like, oh, I want to get to like that 10th. I want to get to that, whatever, whatever the, the barometer is for them to get some type of reward. They want to, they want to reach that. And so sometimes that can be like, uh, extremely compelling, you know, yeah, for them it's to such a, it's such a weird industry. So I, I've been doing loyal for almost six years now. And it, I, prior to starting this, I didn't work in the loyalty industry. I just, I, I was very passionate about this idea. So I self-taught myself and it's a strange industry. Like you highlighted some of the we oddities to it. It's, it's to a degree, it's kind of an anti-loyalty program mm -hmm. in that, like you said, it's, they generate cash They're like a central bank for these companies and they target a certain percentage not all of them, but generally speaking, they target a certain percentage of points to never be redeemed, say 20%. Because if you don't redeem it, same as cash to them, right? So they, 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 they promise you this thing and you never come back and spend it. It's free money. And to get to that target, they actually target a number. And if there's too much redemption, or in other words, people are valuing the brand too much, well, they shove that down so you value the brand a little bit less it's quite bizarre but i think it's come to this point because rather than look at the long-term value of the loyalty of the customer they've looked at the short-term cash value of having that higher breakage number that's the industry term for unspent points is breakage hmm. and but the problem is now that you know the industry is starting to change a little bit consumers are getting more um, savvy and they, they want to get more value for their points and imagine now you're stuck in a program with a multi-billion dollar liability and you're hoping 20% never gets redeemed. Uh, yeah. it's, it's quite a quite a corner to get stuck in. When early on with Loyal, um, when I found this out, I thought, God, this is terrible. And so I've kind of made it my own personal ambition to eliminate breakage from this <laughs> industry. Uh, so make turning these things away from you know, a, a source of cash but into something that actually creates brand value. Yeah, totally. So, so how does, how does it create, how do you, what is the process that you imbue in that um, circumstance to allow for brand value to be transferred to the client? Yeah. So really it's, uh, you know, I consider the percentage of the rewards that are ultimately redeemed as a measure of the loyalty of your customers. Right. Gotcha. So yeah. Some, some programs are different. They target 100% redemption, which is really the way it should be. But it's like a drug addiction, right? When you get 
down, you, you count on five or six or seven or 10% to never get redeemed, then to back out of that, then you got to pay the piper, right? And yeah. so it's really hard. It's like borrowing from your future. Um, cool thing about us is because we have some solutions that can help them get out of that breakage corner without having to take a financial hit. And you know, that's one of the things that we talk about. That's great. Um, yeah, sometimes like when you see a rewards program, you're like, even if it's like you get $5, if you $5 of something, if you buy a thousand dollars of another thing yeah. and it's like, Oh my God, I want that $5 thing. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it's just not worth it. Right. And you know, that's really interesting. You mentioned that because I, I, I go to a, a Walgreens nearby where I live and uh, I've gone there like three years and I'm, I'm in their loyalty program. I have no idea what my balance is, right? I put my phone number in every time. Well, the first time ever after years, they actually asked me if I wanted to spend my rewards. I go, well, how much do I have? You have $5 worth. I'm like, I've been coming here three years and I have $5 worth of rewards. I'm like, just let it ride. Um, and so a lot of people are the same way. It's like, what's the point? But the, the thing is when you move that to blockchain, you can kind of make it a little bit better instead of it being just $5 if they, one of the things you can do with blockchain is have a smart contract layer and that smart contract layer can be um, giving you a targeted incentive based upon things you bought in the past. So if you think about like the VIP service at like, uh, you know, banks or something, they're, they're really rich guys get the personalized service. Well, they can't get that to everybody because you just can't give everybody that personalized service. But the things that VIP concierge does, you can code that into a set of rules and put that into a smart contract. It's secured if it's deployed across a distributed ledger. Yeah. So you're effectively making a little uh, AI version of that concierge for everybody else. Got it. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. Um, so, how did you get this? The idea of this company. What's your, what, what are your what's your background? What what are the beginnings of the inspiration behind this? Yeah, you know, if uh, you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would say there's no way I'd be doing this right now. <laughs> so I, I, I originally was uh, studied accounting and Japanese in college and did a few years in Japan and uh, ended up working in the finance industry uh, because I wanted to work in Japan. I couldn't get any accounting jobs there. So I worked in the investment banking in Japan for about 12 years. I really liked it a lot. And uh, it's a a common story of early Bitcoin adopters. I was working through the financial crisis and it just really, the the financial system really showed its true colors of it's rigged against all of us. uh, And it benefits, I don't know, like not 1%.001%. It's like the truth. Um, And it, and that's, and it just made me feel like I was perpetuating that system uh, and a few years, uh, that sort of unease built up inside of me. And I finally said, you know, I can't be a part of this uh, system anymore. It's rigged against, you know, all the rest of us. And so I quit. And that was um, in 2013. I was a big gold bug at the time. And, you know, the Bitcoin had started trading and it was like $20, $25, whatever. And, and I thought, what a silly idea, digital money. I can't yeah. hold it in my hand, right? And <laughs> so I went about to debunk it. I was writing a blog at the time. I'm going to figure, I'm going to debunk this silly Bitcoin thing. <laughs> and then I learned about distributed ledger and consensus. And it's like the moment in Matrix where Neo wakes up is kind of how I felt. <laughs> it changed everything in my life. And uh, I've just been passionate about that ever since. Yeah. And, um, I didn't want to get involved in anything bank related. There's some great use cases like uh, settlement clear on exchanges and stuff like that. But I want to do something else that was uh, a little bit more fun. And so I just thought, well, where, where is there a lot of digital value? That's just like really hard to use and move. And yeah. like you just said, like, well, my loyalty programs are terrible. And then yeah. that sort of set about the how you, events. How long have you been around for? Uh, so I started the company in 2014. So it's our sixth year. Sixth year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you, you went to Columbia, you got a business degree at Columbia. That's right. Uh, yeah. What, uh, has that opened doors for you just being at, yeah. from Columbia? Yeah, actually it has. Well, throughout my life it has, I wouldn't have got, I'm from Nebraska. I wouldn't have got a job out of school at Merrill Lynch if I didn't go to Columbia. They don't even hire in Nebraska. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so you have to be at an Ivy league. 
for like to 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 be here hired at Merrill Lynch, pretty much. Well, I'd say Bank of America now. I'm showing my age. I think they merged, uh, but yeah, any of those bulge bracket firms, they don't even recruit outside of you know ten or twenty universities. So in that sense, it did open doors, but it has actually throughout. Um, you know, my life since then, you know, there's alumni networks where, you know, people help each other out. People stay um, closer together. Actually, it's very interesting. You asked, asked me that question now because yesterday I was just at the plug and play tech center campus in Sunnyvale and there was uh, a Columbia alumni adventures pitch event. Uh, it's pretty cool. So what they do is they get Columbia alumni together. Uh, some, some of us work at venture firms or corporations or are angel investors. And uh, every now and then any Columbia alumni that are, pitching for their own startup can come in and can pitch to the other alumni. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand that when I was going to college, like I should have, I should, like, it would have been awesome to go to like one of these like big name universities, but I'm an entrepreneur. So I don't know. You know, you know, I really think it, it, it doesn't really matter in the long run. Cause I, yeah. I got my undergraduate degree at university of Nebraska and you know, I, I think that it may be in the beginning, it might give you a slight handicap. But what I found, particularly when I got out of Columbia and I started working at yeah. you know, Merrill Lynch, I did, I did equity uh, sales, uh, institutional equity sales. Uh, from that point, there's no advantage. That's, yeah. that's a great equalization. And I've actually found, I don't want to diss on my friends that went to Ivy League schools, but uh, I've actually found that the ones that come from other schools are a lot scrappier. Right. You know, because you had to work a lot harder to get to where you were. So you're almost at an advantage to claw yourself up from, you know, a, scra- a scrappy background. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of true. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like that perspective. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we might have a bias here, but that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you should, you don't have a bias. I mean, you went to Columbia. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess hedging myself, I can say either one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's a that's a good uh, good thing to do because I I think one of the only nowadays because it's things are shifting one of the only reasons to go to an Ivy League school is for the connections. That's- yeah, I I think you're up. You're probably right. Yeah. So my first job out of University of Nebraska was actually with a very prestigious firm, is Morgan Stanley, but that I got because I knew Japanese. It was a it was a unique um, entry door I got for bilingual. Japanese nationals where I kind of just went to that event as a bilingual American. And, you know, I had the same credentials. I just, I'm white and they're Japanese, uh, which makes me a lot more um, unique at that event. And that got me my first job at Morgan Stanley out of undergraduate school. So in that case, it was the raw skill set. It didn't have anything to do with where I'd gone to school, but I worked three years there at Morgan Stanley and that was in the middle office. So it's basically where you do all the work and don't get any of the pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing the P&Ls and risk management for the traders. And I knew nothing about finance. I was an accountant. Like I was, I had no idea what banks did. I just wanted to work in Japan. It's kind of funny. And then I, I didn't know what front office, middle office, back office was. I was doing these P&Ls for these traders. And these guys were making crazy money, super hard jobs. But, you know, that's where the cash comes in, right? The closer you are to the faucet, the more you get. And so then I realized I need, I need to be in the front office. And that's kind of why I went to get an MBA. You don't really need it. You know, you can work your way up without it, but generally that's the door to get into I mean, you're working office. hard either way. I mean, I mean, that's right. yeah, you, you, you work hard to get the, the degree, then you, then you have more doors opened or you can just work your way up without the degree and, and it's the same amount of work, it seems to me. <laughs> so You could, yeah. And you're right. You know, I, the two years at Columbia, I, you know, I, it was great experience, met some great friends, learned some stuff. I probably would have learned more applicable knowledge if I just would have been working in the bank for those two years and saved myself a lot of money too. But like I said, it's generally the path you have to take. You got to jump through these hoops. I think it is changing a little bit more now. The data is so much more accessible. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I graduated 2001. So it was just like, just actually literally the, the online internet started while I was in business school is kind of nuts. Uh, but now you've got access to information on demand. And I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's the need is becoming less and less. When I hire for my company, I could care less where they went to school. Uh, one of my senior engineers who just had to leave the country to move to Spain for family reasons, 
uh, he didn't even go to college. He's self-taught. And, you know, I didn't, didn't matter. What matters is the skills. Well, Google, it's funny because I saw a few ads on Google uh, doing um, coding classes. And I'm like, wait a second. This whole thing is shifting. The, the, the whole educational system is shifting to corporations training the people that they want to work for them. And it seems like that would be an ideal thing to do as opposed to training and learning from some professor who doesn't really have experience in the field. Yeah, I agree. Learning from a corporation that's going to show you how you can, they can, how you can provide value to them. You know, it's like vocational training. You know, we're going back to a model that has proven to work through most of the time. I agree. Learn on the job and you don't have to, graduate with six figure, you know, debt to the government that you can never get out of, even if you file for bankruptcy, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, in the it's US. funny. It's funny. Everybody's um, opening their eyes to, to what's happening. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, yeah, my, my wife, we're still paying off her school, her student debt. I still have some very small amount of student debt now, but um, like my wife, she got like three degrees and she's like paying, like a crap ton of money, you know? Uh, so yeah, but anyways, um, so when you, when you made your first big sale, what was that like? What was that process? How did you get people to like, cause I would, I would uh, surmise that the people you're targeting are people that are pretty established. They're not really companies like startups They're they're established companies and those established companies normally want to see a track record. So when you try to go to those established companies, they're like, okay, so who have you worked with? Blah, blah, blah. Like this is, I've, I've been through this process. So how did you get that first, like first sale? So we do enterprise software, right? And I've never worked in enterprise software. I've never been an entrepreneur, never worked in loyalty. I'm not technical, right? So I got all the things going against me. And having gone through this process to get the first customer, I think the reason why we're the first is, you know, I think I've got this entrepreneurial thing down, boiled down. You've got to have two qualities, only two things. Everything else is a derivative of these two things. First one is you have to be too stupid to know that you can't do it when you start it. That's important. That's why no one with a smart intelligence does it because they know they can't do it. Right. But then once you start and you realize you're too stupid to do it, you're too <laughs> stubborn to stop. Right. Honestly, think those are the only two that. things that factor into success. All the others, you know, pivoting, learning, hiring right people, getting right networking, those are some derivative of one of those two, right? Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. I think so too. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no one will tell you that because they want to say, oh, I'm so smart, blah, 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 blah. because of me. And it's not really. Um, it's just so like going, being dragged through the mud consistently daily and then picking yourself back up, learning, adjusting, doing the same right. thing the next day and then doing that for months at a time and then going, it, Oh, I think I'm onto something. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what, why am I doing this to myself? I need to get to see a therapist. And, but yeah. if you believe in it enough, you just, you just can't stop. Right. You yeah. Gotta, you can't stop. You can't stop. And it's, it's funny how there are so many times, especially recently because we, we just got Emirates across the line, our first enterprise customer. And with enterprise software sales, the first one they say is the hardest and the rest kind of pile on. So I hope that's true. But there were so many times I'd wake up and something would happen and it would, for any logical person, it would look impossible. No solution whatsoever. And a smart person would go, well, that's it. But you just got to say, I don't think there's a solution to this impossible situation but we're going to find a solution. And you know, you usually can. Can you explain that in detail? <laughs> or if you don't want to share, it's fine. I understand. Yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but you know, okay. there are, there are times when, you know, you just, we wake up and go, okay, well we're, we're yeah. that's, that's the end of this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it, business is, is definitely a struggle. I think that's why, but like, have you thought about doing branding for your company? Like do, doing more branding besides, I know, you, like, can you have a loyalty program for your loyalty program? Is that yeah. possible? 
Well, the cool thing about the way we do it now, it wasn't yeah. the way we started. Like I said, I had no idea what I was doing. So the original model was totally different. But right now, what we realized is that we don't really want to run our own loyalty programs. And it's really hard to do that anyways. We just have a tokenless blockchain environment. No native tokens. I mean, blockchain environment. So the loyalty program can operate through a node, which is basically like one copy of the uh, the data blockchain uh, centrally manage a program through that, but they have the distributed ledger environment that they're connected to. And so the, they're still running their brand. So for us, we're just kind of like the network that these brands operate on. You're like the, the, oil, the Oracle of, uh, of loyalty programs. Something like that. Yeah. We actually, our trademark is the internet of loyalty is what we registered. Uh, wow. Something. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we could possibly white label it out to someone else, but the the point is, we kind of don't even care if anybody knows we exist. You know, we're just kind of behind the scenes, making everything function. You know, on the top layer for the consumers. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, this you had this first you had your first sale, and it was it was a breakthrough. That uh, yep. was that the enterprise client. Was that your first? Yeah, we're all enterprise software. So yeah, all enterprise. Wow. Okay. So we, you know, we targeted all these different industries, and uh, I, I ran into Emirates Airlines in December of 2015 in Dubai. So a little bit of background there. I, in the first few years, I was really big into Bitcoin, and a friend of mine whose name's Bruce Fenton, who's since become quite a famous person, while I didn't, and we uh, decided we were going to do a Bitcoin conference, but. Around 2015, there were already one, and there's already something in every city in the world. Bruce said, well, Dubai hasn't had a Bitcoin conference yet. So we set up the first Bitcoin conference in Dubai in December 2015. No, it was 13, sorry, December 2013. And so this sort of ragtag group of local people interested in startups got together, and that ended up leading to a blockchain council run by the prime minister's office and that's where I ran into someone from Emirates Innovation Labs. And they said, wow, this is really cool what you're doing. You know, let's start kicking some ideas around together. But they're the only ones who were really that forward thinking. All the rest of the companies have interest, but they haven't been quite as visionary as Emirates has been to actually you know, invest in it and, and get to market. It's really impressive. So I don't want to probe you too much here, but if you get an enterprise client, is that like a, like, is that like a seven figure deal? If you get an enterprise client, cause it seems like most enterprise clients are like seven figures and seven figures. I haven't, should been, be. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't gone into the enterprise. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was in communications with like Verizon at one point and then it just fizzled out. I'm like, this is like impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, but uh, Emirates being the first mover onto our platform, you know, we gave them the first mover uh, advantage. Um, so I guess discount, I want to say discount, but uh, favorable pricing for being the first contract. Um, but under under the normal contract terms going forward, yeah, it's a seven-figure seven contract. Got it. Well, yeah, you always got to re reward early adopters, 100%. Yeah, you know, because we're the first one, right? So when nobody there's nothing really to compare us to it's not like we're a better linkedin or anything <laughs> like that so there's skepticism like this is like does blockchain work or uh, and so they're apprehensive to move forward and it's it's you know they always say being the first to market is not really what you want to be because the first to market takes all the arrows in the back i don't know if i can yeah. still say that He's these days pioneer yeah yeah and you get massacred and then someone else will pick up your idea after you die and then take it from there after you blaze the trail, uh, right? <laughs> I also say that nine, nine out of 10 businesses go out of business. True, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of sayings out there that don't have to reign true for everyone. I agree. And like I said, it goes back to just having those two things, man. Too yeah. dumb to know you can do it, too stubborn to quit. <laughs> it's got to be too stubborn. I love it. And a lot of luck along the way as well, right? A lot of luck, um, yeah. But yeah, getting the first one is extremely hard because, I mean, these are large corporations and when they, they go into contracts, that's not a, you know, a whimsical thing they do. It's, it's a terrible process. Awesome. It took us one year and that was escalated. Often it's two or three years just to negotiate the contract terms. And so they don't change very often. So getting uh, an enterprise software customer is 
extremely valuable for the lifetime of that customer because they're probably not going to switch unless something catastrophic happens. Um, so it is big deal to get, uh, you know, to get one signed up. Uh, and, you know, the, once, because someone else is using it, if someone you um, have confidence in, then, you know, there's a sort of herd mentality. It's like, oh, okay, they're using that. So then I guess it's safe for me to use that too and reduces then that original sales cycle. And then, you know, it's sort of blossoms. Part of the, part of the problem is, let me explain it this way. When you, you get a, you, when you, when a corporation grows to a level where there's 10,000 plus employees, um, most of the employees in the company do not understand entrepreneurship. Um, and so you have executives that act in ways that clearly show that they've never been an entrepreneur. And like, so you get like weird comments, like, like about your business, like, oh, I, I had one guy who, like, it was a huge company I was potentially working with. He's like, I don't see your Google listing. That's just, uh, that's just weird. Uh, I don't like that. And I'm like, what does that have to do with what I'm trying to sell? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And no, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to understand, like, if you're just listening, but when you go through it and you're like, dude, you know what I've, you know what I'm doing daily? <laughs> like I don't focus on like, um, like ridiculous things like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and, yeah. Well, I worked at large, huge companies my whole life. So I mean, I was one of them and uh, it's a different, you, you're living in a different speed of time. Right. So like one day for us is like a month. I want in these large companies. There's no incentive to move quick. Right. Actually, you don't, you don't want to. Yeah. Cause right? you, you could, didn't expect you, you to work mistake, that pace all the time. You, yeah. You could make a mistake and you're the one that's blamed. That's right. That's right. So like, for example, one of the customers we're targeting now who in all logical sense should be integrating with us right now said, you know, we got some stuff going on. You know, once you get back to 12 months, like to 12 months, you might as well have said 10 years. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> I got to pay bills, man. You got to pay. I got to pay. Or yeah. Follow up, follow up in like, you know, the, the, the third quarter of next year. And it's like, what the yeah, like for me, like that doesn't even get on my radar. It's like a thousand years from now. It's like I'm, we're we're going in hours here. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> freaking annoying. Have you uh, uh, talked to investors? Have you? Yeah, we've got a bunch of great investors. You know, it's like I said, we've been around five years, and uh, you know, investors have helped you know to uh, to, to fund our development till now. So. Um, Got a, got, we've got a great cap table. I'm very fortunate because they've come in to, you know, to save us a few of those impossible times uh, and you know, kept us going. So, yeah. um, so let me ask this question because this is always a point of contention amongst depending on who you're talking to. Um, so most of the companies that I've seen scale have some type of investment from investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, there's, there's entrepreneurs that get to a certain level and they're comfortable with, with what, where they are, but they, but they also want to grow, but they're not willing to take an investment. What would you say to like a guy like that? Just not open Yeah. Up? So I'm actually pretty opinionated on this. I understand both sides of the view. Uh, you know, I think that if you have a growth opportunity, it's probably not going to sit there forever. Someone else will take it if you don't. And so taking the capital obviously from a vetted investing partner uh, in order to capture that growth, even if it results in, you know, dilution, it's a lot better to get, you know, the analogy is it's better to have, you know, 2% yeah. of a billion dollars than hundred percent of you know, $10,000. Uh, yeah. That's how I believe. Of course it has to be strategic. You don't want to massively over yourself. You can make sure there's a growth opportunity there. Absolutely. And, and you know, if you, you hear uh, horror stories on both ends of the aisle, you know, like, yeah, for sure. You're, you're now accountable to people, right? And they ask you questions and you have to reply and it's, you're not entirely independently driving the ship anymore. Uh, there's certainly that to it. Yes. It's, Which I think requires some mature, like a, a, a high level of maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're just always like, no, I don't, I don't want to be told what to do. It's not your business. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it, it definitely requires a level of maturity. Now I'm not, I'm, I'm sure there's like times where you, you know, you have disagreements stuff like that but yeah i've i've i mean maybe because i'm an older entrepreneur that i understand the importance of 
the investors having faith in me and trusting me. So I've been really diligent to have regular updates, pretty transparent, not just the good stuff, but the tough stuff. So they, they, they pretty much leave me alone and have confidence that I'm doing the right thing. So I'm quite kind of fortunate. I don't have a lot of people saying, do this, do that, do that. Uh, At least to date. Yeah. There's a a lot of value in being much older than um, most of the people in in the, uh, most of your competition because there's just like a level of maturity that hasn't been reached, you know, like yeah. you, you, I've seen articles like that recently. They say like, you know, 40, 40s is the new entrepreneur age, uh, you know, not 20s anymore. I mean, I, I think there's kind of a lot of argument to both sides. You know, if you experience your maturity uh, when you're a little bit older, you can maybe navigate a little bit more intellectually, but when you're younger, you know, you have a lot less to lose, you know, you're jumping without thinking too much. And well, it depends on who every, every individual is different. Right. But, um, I would say maybe 20% of millennials and I'm a millennial, so I can say this Mm. are flakes. 20%, (laughs) 20%, you know, 80% are, are not. Um, but what I would say is like, there's, there's been situations where like, like an 18 year old kid takes like a half a million dollars from an investor and loses it all. And it's like, uh, well, I learned a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. like, it's just like, man, you know how hard it, it you know, it took it, it, how hard it was to make that type of money, you know, they but, don't. no, no, even it's if funny, you have they, a lot of it, even if you have yeah. more than half a million, you know, to get to that even hundred thousand dollar mark is like, very tough. And then to get to like higher than that is tough, tougher than to get to the seven figure mark. It's like impossible. And then to get to like, you know, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Well, it's the investor's responsibility, I guess, that they gave them the yeah. money to the deal to the founder, but for sure, like for our company, you, you couldn't have done this if you didn't know accounting because loyalty programs, our value proposition is understanding how the loyalty points are recorded on the balance sheet as liabilities. And it's a real advantage. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. So others have tried it, but they've gone the wrong approach. They've gone from the approach as a consumer, but really you have to go from the approach of the company, which is, this is a liability line item on my balance sheet. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's actually really helpful. You know, being kind of, I was kind of in that space. And one of the biggest pain points for most, uh, for most businesses was accounting regarding, you know, like the, the back end. it was like the biggest pain, you know, yeah. sure that all the numbers were right. Like it was just, it was painful. I, you know, I just had to provide service to customers and a lot of them would just, yeah. Anyways. Okay. So, all right. So you hiring your, 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 how many like employees do you have right now? We're pretty lean. We've got five right now uh, because we've really focused on keeping the uh, the burn down and getting Emirates across the line. Uh, and now that we've got that, we're going to do, we're, this is going to be a growth year for us. So we're going to be hiring quite a few people, mostly engineers and salespeople. How, uh, so are you in communications with any other enterprise companies? Tons. So over the years that we've done this, we've established a great rapport with pretty much every airline you want to talk to, every hotel, major banks, uh, even airline consortium. So we've got these lines of communication. Um, they know what we do. So we're in a great position where there's really no more cold calling. It's just more showing them someone else has done this. Here's the actual data of the savings and the benefits. And now let's go forward with it. I love it. Um, yeah. And uh, have you ever thought about starting a podcast yourself? You know, it's funny you mentioned, because when I left banking, I was, it was such a liberating feeling for me because I felt so constrained in this, you know, the dark side of the freaking empire is what I like to define it as and be free to finally speak my mind. So I actually did a blog. Uh, It was mostly a travel blog and like economics. Yeah. But I never had the courage to go to leap to video. I don't know why, <laughs> uh, or or audio recording. But I did I did like a written blog for a while. Uh, but then when I started this company, I decided um, I was going to put all that on hold. And you know, it's maybe it's a personal thing, but I have a lot of stakeholders that are very diverse, and I've seen other CEOs take very 
sharp views, political views or whatever. And I don't think that is appropriate for a CEO with a diverse amount of stakeholders because um, I think you have to forfeit actually your view to be in that leadership position. For example, if I come out as a super or you know right wing or left wing view person and I express my views in the market, I might have employees or customers or some other stakeholders that differ from my view and I may have lost their confidence in me. And so your job as the CEO is to serve everyone that is your stakeholder. And by accepting that responsibility of servant leader, then I think you have to kind of put your own identity and views to a degree, you know, yeah. in back. Yeah. So that's why I wouldn't do it now, but someday in the future, who knows? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, do you, do you, what do you think? Do you, you must be enjoying it. I do. It's a good um, networking tool. Okay. Um, and then, so the the way the way I see it is like until you have like a big podcast, you have to use it as a networking tool because it has to make sense in business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm probably going to get a bunch of people reaching out to me once I get to like maybe hundred thousand downloads a day or something like that. Then I'll I'll you know I'll probably get like a bunch of people reaching out. I've already had people reach out to, but. Um, this, it's a networking tool. Most people would accept a 30 minute interview of them, uh, but they won't accept a 30 second sales pitch. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. If you yeah. think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and then you have an hour of um, exclusive time with them. You have an hour of exclusive time with them. You know, you, you, uh, it's definitely a great networking tool. What I've done lately is I'm like, I'm always trying to provide value to people in my podcast now. So what I've been doing is I've been, I had, I have all together, I have 18 scheduled this week all together. Wow. I've, I've already done like probably 11. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, so, so like what are, what are some of the more like unique or like bizarre or surprising interviews you've done? You have to name them, but like I've, I've done, uh, I've gotten Dave, uh, Dave Meltzer on my podcast. It's not posted yet. Oh, I've cool. Pat- I've gotten Patrick Bet David who has like millions of subscribers on YouTube. Nice. I've gotten uh, the world, the world poker tour CEO huh. um, uh, on my podcast. You know, yeah. I've had people with like huge companies like agreeing, like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And they're, they're coming to me to my podcast nice. studio. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know, Did anything like off the wall happen where you're like, Oh my goodness, what's happening now? <laughs> I think the most, like I just stumbled into it was just getting clients. I was like, holy crap, maybe this does work. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh so I'm I'm we're I mean we're we're doing better this year than I mean I've made more cold calls than most people like in multiple rooms combined. <laughs> so yeah. um but like this has definitely opened a lot of doors. Yeah. Uh, what I'm doing now is like I, I see connections with people I, I do podcasts with and I try to make introductions. Uh, amongst mm. the people that I do podcasts with. So it's another level of like providing value. Um, but yeah, it has opened doors. And like I said, I've done like 18 podcasts. Uh, well, I have 18 scheduled altogether for this week. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, there's no better way to, to, to build rapport with someone. And then, you know, but, but, uh, but then I think once I become, once you become big, then it's like everybody wants to be on your podcast, you know? Yeah, man, that's really interesting. You know what, when I ride in like a Uber or Lyft, a lot of times I'll, I always chat with the driver because it's like, I, I have this, I'm meeting someone I never would meet in my normal life. Yeah. And they're usually pretty interesting. And I always think, God, I tell them sometimes, yeah, what a great job you've got, you know? Cause like all day you're meeting these randomly different people and having conversations with, it's kind of like what sounds like what you would give you have these great conversations with different people all the time. Yeah. So what I was thinking about doing, like I actually had this thought in my head, I was thinking about like going at, do like just getting Uber just to talk to random people doing, doing like a, a, a video or like a, a recording it and then trying to recruit for my business. <laughs> that was <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. Like sales reps or, but anyways, yeah. But, like Uber blog. Yeah. That's unique. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, what are your plans for, for business growth? You said you have big plans for business growth. So tell me about those. Well, we made it through our first contract, uh, so this really should um, re- condense the sales cycle for us going forward. Uh, we're doing some capital raising uh, right now, and you know if things go 
as expected, and they never do, but let's say they do, then we'll have a couple more customers come on board this year. And given that we're the first um, product like this on the market, it's really kind of earth shattering. I, I think by the maybe second half of this year or so, you know, we're, there's a quite a bit of interest in what we're doing. Um, and so it should be a good year. So, you know, fingers crossed, we get a lot of excitement and fun along the way. So uh, do these enterprise clients, do they pay you uh, on, a, on a yearly basis or a monthly basis or? Yeah, so the way we work out um, our contract is we charge a uh, license fee, basically, a monthly license fee for the software. And then on top of that, above a certain number of transactions, then there's a per transaction fee. So that monthly license fee is prepaid per 12 months. It's a three-year contract prepay for 12 months and the transaction fee as it occurs. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. That's how we're going to try to sell it. That's, that's how we structured it. You're going to try to sell it eventually, the company. Well, that's, uh, you know, we're a new company and, you know, this, that's the way we want to structure the contract. You know, when you doesn't, you know, we don't have a lot of negotiation power at the moment, let's put it that way. But you know, once we get past two or three, we've proven the value yeah. and there's really nowhere else to go. Then we have a lot more, ability to, to dictate the terms of contract, but um, you know, Emirates got some, you know, we gave them some you know, advantageous terms because it is so valuable to us to have, uh, you know, a first customer on the chain. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, do you have a family? Do you have? Nope. Single guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so okay. I think that actually helps with a startup because it's, Definitely, man. I, I, I definitely, you know, I have a, I, I have a wife and kid on the, on the way in April. So. Oh, congratulations. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. But it's definitely, you know, anyways, what, so what were you saying? No, I, I was going to say, no, I'm single, uh, no kids. And I got a couple of cats, I guess. It's like 0.2 kids each or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know I, they gave me company. They're pretty cool. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I think to do this, if I, had too much of family distraction, I probably would go bonkers. It's probably. just so time consuming. I know a lot of people do it and respect for them. Um, it's but, hard. Um, it's yeah, hard. I bet it is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, uh, it's not easy. You definitely have I an s- advantage, I, I would say, but, but uh, I, I would say, but go ahead. You were going to say something. No, so, you know, I date, but even when I date, I'm thinking about my company <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, hilarious. it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm not, I, I come off as callous, but I'm not, that's why I don't care. You don't it's come just, off as callous at all, by the way. Well, on, on, like in a relationship, like, like, well, how come you're not thinking about my feelings? Like, well, I'm thinking about my company. And, <laughs> uh, survive. I, keep <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So it makes dating and relationships kind of hard. Yeah. All good. You'll get there, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to get, you know, you seem like you're doing, you're on your way to like having like a really established company. You're going to be able to sell eventually, you know, that's going to be a great, do, do you ever, have you ever had moments where you regretted re- leaving the corporate life? And then. Yeah. Man. This, yeah. Many, many. Yeah. Well, I regretted leaving the safety a few times. Uh, not the lack of independence, uh, but they kind of come together. Right. So I don't think I ever like deeply regretted it, but there are moments where I kind of longed for the security of a paycheck at a large company. And some days I just want to go in the office and just kind of sit there and do nothing all day and you can get away with it. You know, forget that here, you know, there's <laughs> no way. And so sometimes I've missed that, but you know, it's, um, it's rewarding in the end. Right. So not so much now as it was in the beginning, but, um, but yeah, there were times I was like, what am I doing? I just want to get a paycheck. Just kind of blend in. <laughs> yeah. But, but then you see, like, I think you look like you enjoy your job. You, it seems like you enjoy your job, but the thing is like a lot of people, most people that work in corporate America, like 70 to 90% of them don't like their job. Oh yeah. They hate it. You know? Yeah. So is that really a way to live just for security? Well, that's one of the reasons why I left, right? And, you know, people are basically zombies. You know, they're sleepwalking through their lives and yeah. just con- consuming and earning and consuming. And they're just 
consumption cattle really. And you know, some people, you know, that's for them. They just get in this routine and they do that for 30 years and thank you. But for me, I guess I wanted a little bit more than that. I did a podcast with a guy named Daniel Burnett. Yeah. And he said he worked for the FDA. He was a, a MD at one point and he, or he is an MD still, but he was an MD and he, he worked for the FDA. And what yeah. happened at the FDA, this is, this is even worse than corporations. He would work with like these, like, I don't know, just awful people in the FDA. And this one person, this one person was so horrible and she was lazy and she was like sleeping on her, on her desk. This, yeah. is, this is all public, by the way, this is, this is on podcast. So uh, sleeping on her desk, she got fired. All right. And she, that, I, I don't know if the, she had a bad attitude. Maybe she did. Maybe she just wasn't great to work with. She sued the government and then they rehired her two weeks later. Yeah, man. I mean, oh my gosh, dude. Stereotypical where you, you know, the government is like, I mean, you know, I've been to the DMV. I'm sure there's exceptions, but probably that's where you go and you want to. Some DMVs are, are really great, though, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that's funny you mentioned that because that's, I think about that often now on the days when I kind of wish I had a steady nine to five at the bank. And I remember when I was at the banks people, they're so miserable and they're so pessimistic. They're like, it's the end of the world around the corner. It's all going to come down one day and, you know, they're prepping or whatever. You know, it's just pessimistic outlook on the world. And here in the startup entrepreneur world, it's the polar opposite. Everybody is, I got a solution to that. I got a solution to that. It's, it's all optimism about, you know, maybe a, 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 a better way to put it is, in the industry, in the banking industry, I sort before you see a problem and you're like, oh shit, there's a problem. Oh, I don't know if I can curse here. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and then, but here the perspective is, oh look, there's a problem. I'm going to find a solution. To be in that environment is so uplifting. It's incredible. It's so energetic, and um, that has a lot of value to just the people that environment you're surrounding yourself in. Problem solvers. Awesome. All right, yeah. man. Well, if there's an enterprise client potentially listening to this podcast. Uh, he, you know, you seem like a stand-up guy, you know, you look, uh, you know, you've, you've definitely given me the impression that you're, you have your stuff together and you're, you're on your way to big things. So, um, you want to share your, your information and somebody's listening? Yeah, that'd be great. So again, you know, I'm the CEO and founder of Loyal. You can go to L-O-Y-Y-A-L.com and see how to check out our website. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, there's a contact us form there on the website. Um, you can hit us up at info at loyal.com. Or if you're really excited, you can contact me directly at greg at loyal.com and be happy to, to talk with anybody who likes what we're doing. Awesome. Awesome. Cool.